Uh, thank you, worship team. Uh, it is good to be with you guys uh, this evening when we are filming. My name is Walter. I'm a member here at Holmes Avenue, and I want to thank you guys for joining us. I hope you're having a wonderful Sunday morning as you guys are watching this. I want to begin with uh, referencing a few things uh, that you'll want to know. Uh, first and foremost, uh, when we are gathered together, this is the time that we typically take of our offering. Uh, so on the screen, you can actually see some links there for you to reference. Uh, first and foremost is the link to do online giving. Uh, certainly, if you're comfortable with that, uh, we would appreciate that. Uh, though we are in an unprecedented time in our history, perhaps, uh, we do still have things to do, uh, bills to pay, and of course, uh, ministry opportunities in front of us, uh, like our spaghetti dinner that will have happened Friday when you guys are watching this. Uh, secondly, I want to make sure you guys are seeing that we have a contact form for you to fill out. Uh, as you're watching this, if you have questions, have concerns, uh, feel the Lord moving upon you and, and want to talk to someone about what he's doing, I want to encourage you to use that contact form, fill that out, and that'll give a direct email to us that we can respond to. We will be monitoring that on Sunday, so if you want to reach out to us, we're going to be happy to connect with you through that. Uh, with that in mind, I do want to begin by looking at our prophecy text this week, uh, Isaiah 35. Uh, it reads, beginning of verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Uh, now, as we begin with these words, these are words that are written by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus would walk the earth. Uh, these words were written to prophesy about the coming Messiah, this coming Redeemer who is going to come forth and change the world. This coming Redeemer is to come forth and see the world fundamentally change. As you can see in these words, that the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, that things that are unnatural, things that are not right, will then be made right. And so as this Messiah has come into the world and begins his ministry, a key theme for us to pay attention to is that there will be things in the midst of this turmoil that will be made right and new. Now, unless you've been living underneath a rock over the past couple of months, uh, we are in a world that is in turmoil, We're turmoil right now. That for each and every one of us, we are looking around the world and thinking, with the coronavirus that is sweeping through the U.S., it has gone through other countries, we're in a time of crisis. And you and I are looking at these things thinking, when will this be made right? When will this be over? When will the night end? And what I would submit to you is that in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this moment in history, we still see the promised Redeemer's ministry being worked out. That we still see the promised Redeemer's ministry being poured out from his church onto the nations in the world. And so as we look at this passage, you're probably concerned with some things. You're actually probably wrestling with some fears. Maybe you even have doubts about the things that God may be able to do in the midst of this world. And as we read these verses today, I want you to look at these verses. I want you to recognize that Christ is at work in this world just as he was at the work in these verses that are being displayed. So as we begin with the passage in Matthew, typically this is when we would stand up. You are welcome to stand up with us as we read these verses. You can sit comfortably on your couch and enjoy your coffee if you'd like. But we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. 
When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word to his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say look at him. A glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. If you would, would you bow your head with me and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look at this passage and begin to wrestle with the truth that is here in the Scriptures, Father, I pray that you would make the truth known to us. That as we look at the promised Redeemer's ministry, just a small slice of what He came to do, I pray that we would recognize that He has come to seek and save the lost. That He has come to reconcile those who are far from Him and bring them into the family of God. Father, for those that are listening to this, I pray that they would see the truth that is in this passage. Jesus came to resolve our fears and doubts and concerns. Not through any words of comfort, not through any meaningless platitudes, but by being the finished, promised Redeemer. The one who has come to make things new. And I pray that that truth brings comfort to us during this time. Father, be with us as we study these words. Let us see what it is you desire for us to see. May the Spirit move among us so that our hearts may be open and receptive to the Word of God. Father, thank you for the things you've done. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we begin... Uh, When we're looking at these verses, uh, the main points will be up on the screen. And really, you can begin these main points with the promised Redeemer's ministry and then the main point. So as we look at the first one, the promised Redeemer's ministry resolves our fear, our concerns, and our doubts. Look with me beginning in verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, 
We've got John the Baptist appearing here, uh, here in the midst of this story. Uh, He's not been in the book of Matthew since uh, about chapter 3 or so when we see his ministry begin. And in that intermediate time, he's been placed in prison. And he sends his followers to Jesus because he's got doubts. To be very honest with you, uh, more than the fact that he's got doubts, he's actually been shaken by his situation. He sends his disciples to Jesus because he doesn't understand You see, he knows the promised prophecies. He knows the things of the scriptures that say things like this redeemer has come to set the captives free. Yet he's in jail. That he knows that this redeemer is to come to bring judgment upon the wicked. Yet nothing has changed. The wicked still live their lives. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation for these people. Really, as we look at these verses... Jesus just didn't resemble the Savior that he was expecting. And so he has doubts and concerns. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus. And he has them go and say, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Are you the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Redeemer who has been sent to us? And Jesus answers him beginning in verse 4. Jesus answered them saying, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, Jesus begins to answer these doubts, these fears and concerns of John by pointing to his works. You see, he references Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6 that we've read. I'll read it again for you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. He's also quoting Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You can understand why John had his concerns and doubts. And Jesus points to the works that he is doing, the things that he is displaying to the world. And he is saying, when he answers this question, he is emphasizing the messianic significance of his miracles of healing. You see, as we look at the Old Testament, there are many, many prophecies about the coming Messiah. There are many prophecies that point to this Redeemer who is to come. And in many of these prophecies, they are pointing to the reality that this Redeemer is going to bring healing to his people. And so when Jesus says these words, not only is he quoting from these prophecies that John would know, but he's also answering them saying, you have concerns, you have fears and doubts, and let me tell you something. I have come to bring healing. I have come to see these fears and concerns and doubts be swept away. He's saying that I am the Son of Man who has come to the least of these. That is you and I. That is John the Baptist. That is those that are poor and brokenhearted. Those that are in need healing. Those that are blind. That are lepers. He has come to those that have been abandoned by society. You see, these people who are in need of healing, these are outcasts from the Jewish culture. They've been condemned by the Jewish people as sinners being punished by their mistakes. Even the poor, though perhaps they're not considered guilty of sin, they're ignored and counted for little in the eyes of the community. 
You see, the Messiah has come for the least of these. Now, he's also showing that the Messiah has not come to bring a political or military victory. That uh, for many of the Jewish people, they thought the Messiah was going to come and he was going to drive Rome out. That he was going to push Rome out and reestablish the nation of Israel as an independent nation under God. Others believed that he was going to come and he was going to restore the Davidic line. That there was going to be a king from the line of David sitting on the throne in Jerusalem who's driven out all the oppressors. They believe that when the Messiah comes, that their country, their government will be reestablished. And it will be, just only in the new heavens and a new earth. You see, he's come not to establish this political victory, not to conquer a foreign territory, but rather he's come to bring hope to the hopeless through his life, death, and resurrection. Now, it's important to note right here that John is not condemned for his doubts. You might find that surprising that Jesus didn't pop him upside the head and say, go tell John this. No, that he allows the fact that there is room in our faith for doubts. In fact, doubt is natural in the midst of our walk. That you and I doubt that God will do things sometimes. Where we get in trouble is when we go from God, I don't know if you can do this. I don't know if you will do this. When we go to God, you cannot or you will not do these things. You see, the first is doubt. I'm not sure if God can do this. I'm not sure if he can work in this situation. The second, he can't or he won't do this, is unbelief. You see, doubt in our faith as we're walking in the day-to-day life, doubt is trying to find answers to resolve our present fears, concerns, and situation. We are trying to find answers to solve these doubts. And as we look in around in the world, we're all guilty of looking for answers in places and people beyond Christ, right? That for you and I, we try to find solutions to our doubts and things that are beyond Christ. And certainly, as we've already referenced, we are in uncertain times. That perhaps you're feeling some of the tension, some of the anxiety of this time right now. That I know for for my family, though things are going okay for us financially, we've not been impacted by this crisis, we still are wrestling with the fears and concerns of, have we done enough to prepare? Are we doing the right things? Are our kids going to be okay in the midst of this? Is my wife who works in a hospital going to be safe? Are we safe because she works in a hospital? You watch the news and you get more of it of, do I even need to go out? Do I need to go find a bunker somewhere and just hold tight for a couple of months? I say those things being in a position of relative health and financial sovereignty right now, but for those that are listening, for those who are here watching this, The reality is that not everyone is in a place of health financially or even physically. That for each one of us, we're wrestling with these concerns, these fears. That we're wanting to see this resolution be resolved. And what I would encourage you is with a few lines from a song, Keep on Getting Better by Maverick City Music. These lines are, Though the night may get darker, though the waiting seems long, He has always been faithful. Lord, remind me of your love. That right here in the midst of this uncertain time, 
right here in the midst of these difficulties, these, these struggles and these sorrows, this painful moment perhaps, maybe we're in the midst of the dark. And maybe it's going to get darker. I will not sit here and promise you that times will get better tomorrow. But even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of this waiting that feels as if it will stretch for eternity, our God has always been faithful. Our God has never abandoned us. He has never failed us. That every promise He has given us will be satisfied and come true. That in this moment in history, what we need is not some stereotypical platitude, but what we need to do is to remind ourselves of His love and know that He has never abandoned us, He has never forsaken us. In fact, when He had every opportunity to abandon us, He came to this earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, and died the death that you and I deserve because of our sin so that He could bring reconciliation to us. So that you and I could be brought into the family of God by trusting in Him. By calling upon Him as our Lord and Savior and saying, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory that you set before me. Father, forgive me for these sins. Bring me into your kingdom. Bring me into your family so that I may be called your child. That in the midst of these times, as we're wrestling with our fears and concerns and doubts, the answer now is the same as it was when John asked. The answer to our fears and concerns and doubts is to trust in this promised Redeemer. To look to this promised Redeemer who has never abandoned us, who has never failed us, and will not begin doing so now. That as we wrestle with these Monumental moments in history. We trust that this is not caught Christ by surprise. We trust that he is working in the midst of this. Now, Jesus doesn't end his story time with us. He continues on in the following verses. Uh, Beginning in verse 7, he begins to address the reality that the promised Redeemer is going to inaugurate the new covenant. The promised Redeemer is going to inaugurate the new covenant. Read with me beginning in verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then do you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. As we read these words, people have heard the questions from John's followers. They've heard these questions and they're thinking, well, if John has these doubts, if he is concerned about this Jesus, maybe this Jesus is not the promised Redeemer. Others in the crowd hear these questions and go, well, who does John think he is? Clearly this is the Messiah. You've seen what he's done. You've seen the miracles he has performed. And people began to criticize not only John, but also Jesus. And Jesus begins to head this off at the pass and explains the reality that you do not go into the desert to find a soft, weak man. You go into the desert to find a man who has been tempered and hardened by the desert. 
You see, he's reminding them that when they began to hear this message of John all the way back in Matthew chapter 3, when they heard this message, they thought he was a prophet of old. He was this wild man coming from the wilderness who lived off of locusts and honey. He was dressed in rags with his long scraggly hair. He looked the picture of a prophet. And he's telling them that this man that you heard from is the last in the series of prophets who prepared the way for the Messiah. You see, John was the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. That reads, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. You see, John is the forerunner of the Lord. That he was the one that God has brought forth so that he may proclaim the coming kingdom. Not only is he a prophet, he's the living, breathing fulfillment of prophecy, just like Jesus. Now, as we continue with these verses, Jesus begins to tell us not only is John this fulfillment of prophecy, but he is the culmination of the old covenant. Read with me in verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, in these verses, Jesus is saying that John is the culmination of the Old Covenant. Jesus has come being heralded by his forerunner John, bringing once for all forgiveness of sins, immediate access to God's presence, and the personal indwelling of the Spirit. You see, John sits on the dividing line of old to new. And see, when Jesus references the verses in verse 11, he's saying that the least of us in this new age have greater access to the power and majesty of God than any of the old. This is for free, but let's sit on that for a minute. That the least of us in this new kingdom, this new heavens and earth, this new covenant that God has brought forth, the least of us have greater access to God than the old prophets. Think the greatest of the old covenant, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah. We have a greater and more immediate access to God than even those great men did. If that doesn't fundamentally change the way you view your personal relationship with God, I don't know what it is that God is doing in your life, but it may not be bringing you into the family. Because here's the truth of that beautiful moment. That we have direct and immediate access to God. There's no intermediary involved. There's no veil that we have to go through. There's no need for a sacrifice because that all has been fulfilled through Christ. You and I can go straight to God our Father and cry out to Him our struggles and sorrows. We can go to Him and beg Him to move. We can go before Him and celebrate with Him. That personal relationship is fundamentally different than that of the old. You see, you and I, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the keys to the kingdom. 
They've been placed into the hands of children and priests and of fishers of men. John was the one who was standing before the inauguration of the kingdom, shouting, Behold the Lamb! The story of redemption is written on his hands, and he shall reign forevermore. This is contrasted with the following verses here where he speaks of the kingdom of heaven suffering violence. You see, even in the new age that Christ is bringing forth, there is opposition to him. If you've studied the scriptures, you know some of these uh, oppositions that Jesus is facing. John has been arrested by Herod, that he is sitting in a, king, in a castle somewhere, uh, in a dungeon, held captive by a king. The Jewish teachers in this time period are getting more and more concerned with Jesus. They're thinking he might not be the Messiah. In fact, he might be dangerous to us in our position of authority and power. The people who have gathered around Jesus have begun to ask the questions of why has he not staged a revolution yet? Why have things not changed? If he is the Messiah, then this must change. If he is the Messiah, then the situation must be changed. They don't understand why the revolution hasn't occurred. Yet despite this opposition by these human forces, and let's be honest about this, by the opposition of Satan and his forces in these moments, the plan of God will not be denied. You see, all the prophets and the law have pointed to this moment of the new covenant coming. John himself is not only the forerunner of the Messiah, but of the day of the Lord. The whole Old Testament revelation is a preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Even the law is prophesying, pointing to this coming Messiah. You see, the law was intended to come forth and show us of our sinfulness, to show us that we needed someone greater than ourselves to save us. And it's pointing to this coming Redeemer, this promised Redeemer, who will come to fulfill the law. You see, the law and the prophets are no longer the revelation that's key to understanding everything. Rather, Christ is the key to the revelation of the law and prophets. The true revelation of both the law and the prophets is that we're guilty of our own sin. That there is no earthly, human-based act that will bring redemption to us. That someone... Something must die to pay for the debt of our sin and shame. Perhaps you heard Pastor Brian's sermon on John 19, the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, where he gave up his life upon the cross so that you and I could be reconciled, that our sin and shame could go to that tomb with Jesus and be buried and remain there when he leaves. You see, this central moment in history is the fulfilling of all the law and prophets. It brings to mind 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, freedom indeed has come to the captives and is now being offered to all. The promised Redeemer is here. His ministry is about reconciliation, bringing those who are far from God near to him. Bringing those lost sheep, those lost coins, the prodigal sons back into the fold. Yet, even here in the midst of Christ proclaiming the good news of the gospel of salvation, some choose to reject it. This leads us to our final point in our closing verses. 
The promised Redeemer's ministry requires us to respond. The promised Redeemer's ministry requires us to respond. Look with me to verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not come and mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. You see, as Jesus begins to address the crowd here, he points out the hypocrisy of the gathered people. We've already talked very briefly about the the tension and discomfort of the gathered people and their, their tension they're feeling with the ministry of Jesus. Remember, they think that the Messiah has come to bring a political or military victory to them. And they see this Messiah who is performing these miracles and healings and they think, is this it? Is this what the promised Redeemer has come to do? To fix a few eyes, to restore a few limps, to bring a few people back to life? Is this all he has come to do? As if those aren't sufficient miracles for us to have our jaws drop and go, who is this man? And he tells the crowd that we have come and we have played the flute for you and you did not dance. You see, he's referencing the fact that he himself has come to proclaim the good news. And they don't care. They hear this beautiful music of the gospel of the salvation of God being brought to them. And their legs don't move. They sit and watch. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. That they've had John come forth and proclaim of the coming judgment. John has come and said, the new heavens and earth will come one day. The new kingdom, the new covenant is beginning. That he brings this message of judgment upon those who do not believe. Yet they reject him. They receive neither of these, preferring their own errors, preferring their own wicked ways to that of righteousness. You see, the crowd gives in to their unbelief and rejects the promises that have been promised to them. Now, this is such a contrast to the doubt of John, right? John has doubts, but rather than given to unbelief and reject everything in front of him, he goes to Jesus himself. He essentially cries out to the Messiah, says, Help my unbelief, Lord, that if you are who you say you are, show it. If you are who you say you are, then show me that my doubts are in vain. Now, the crowd, of course, rejects all these things and nothing is good enough for them. They're rejecting a Savior that is in front of them and they're searching for someone else to save them. They have hope in their hands, yet they willingly put it down because it doesn't fit their perception of what salvation should look like. It doesn't fit their perception of what the Messiah should look like. You see, the crowd asks the same questions as John, yet they come to a remarkably different conclusion with the same answers. You see, in the story that God has written for us, we've got two groups of people that respond. We've got John over here and the crowd on this side. John comes before the Messiah with his doubts and concerns that he openly asks, 
Are you the one who has been promised or is there another? The crowd sees that question and they begin to ask the same. Are you the promised redeemer or are we still waiting for him? They both hear the same answers, the same message from Jesus. And what John's response is, is to trust in the Messiah that is before him. That what he says is that there is no man on this earth who could do these things but the promised Redeemer. There is no man who could come forth and bring hope to the hopeless, freedom to the captives. There is no man who can solve these things but the promised Redeemer. The crowd, on the other hand, hears these same answers. They hear these same words of Jesus. And their response is to go, this can't be the Messiah. This is not the promised Redeemer. He doesn't fit our perception of what the Messiah should look like. He hasn't done the things that a Messiah should do. If this is all that redemption has to bring, healing a few people and performing a few other miracles, then this cannot bring salvation to me. You see, you and I have lived the same story. That you and I have seen the same story played out throughout history. That throughout history, men and women have come in confrontation with the truth of the gospel. They have seen that the promised Messiah, the promised Redeemer, has come forth. The good news has been proclaimed. The message of the good news is that we are broken. That you and I are not meant to have a relationship with God in our sinful state. That when we are far from Him, when we have not repented of our sins, we cannot have a relationship with Him. But God, in His kindness and mercy, has sent Jesus into the world. He has brought Him into the world so that reconciliation could happen. So that those that are far from Him could be brought into the family. Those that are lost can be found and reconciled with God. That through him going to the cross, an innocent man paying for the debt of you and I so that our sins can be forgiven, we have access to the Father. We have access through the Father through acknowledging the shed blood of Jesus Christ, through crying out to the heavens, forgive me, forgive me of my sins and shame. And let me be a part of this family, this kingdom that you've brought in, Lord. Throughout history, throughout generations, that message has been proclaimed by faithful men and women to crowds of men, women, and children. And throughout generation, every man, woman, and child that has heard this message has had an opportunity to respond. Every man, woman, and child that has heard this message has made a decision. They have chosen to follow Christ and trust that he is the promised redeemer that has been sent forth into this world. Or they have chosen to reject Christ and continue seeking for what they believe are the promised redeemer. What I would submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, is that the promised redeemer has come. He has lived a perfect life. He has died for our sins. He has risen from the grave. He has risen into the heavens. And one day he will be returning, not to bring reconciliation, but to bring that promised judgment that John proclaimed. Jesus will not come back as this gentle lamb, but he comes back as a warrior with a sword in his mouth, tattoo on his thigh, blood on his robe, riding a great war horse, coming to end sin, shame, and death. 
That he comes to destroy Satan and his forces and overthrow them and inaugurate the new heavens and the new earth. You see, if we reject Christ, we reject him knowing that his response one day would bring judgment and condemnation upon us. But ladies and gentlemen, that day is not today. That day is not today. And what you have in front of you is an opportunity to respond to the salvation that's been offered by the Lord. Here in the next few moments, our band is going to come forth and lead us in a time of worship. As they come forward, I will take a few moments to pray for us. That up on the screen, you can see a few links uh, reminding you, yes, of online giving, but most importantly of that contact link. That for those of you that are watching this, what I want you to hear is that if you feel the Lord moving upon you, if you have questions, you have doubts, you have concerns, come to us. Go to that contact link. Fill out that form and let us know what God is doing in your life. Let us be with you as God is perhaps bringing redemption to you. Let us be with you as you're wrestling with the hard things of life. Let us be with you as you mourn and struggle. Let us be with you as Christ is with you. And so here in these next few moments, I'll pray. And one of my prayers is that you would respond and you would trust this promised Redeemer has come. That he has brought reconciliation to you. And that by trusting in him, you can have eternal life and salvation today. So as we bow our heads and pray, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for letting us see the truth that is here in the scriptures. That there is a Redeemer that has come and His name is Jesus Christ. That He was the one that has been promised to us from the Old Testament. That He has come to end the Old Covenant and inaugurate the New. And this New Covenant has been sealed with the blood and sacrifice of Him upon the cross. And Father, I pray today for those that are listening, for those that are watching at home, that they would see this as a real gift from God. That this has been given to them so that they may know Him, so they may have a relationship, and so that they may be forgiven of their sin and shame. Lord, I pray that the Spirit would work on them even now. That they would feel this tugging, this longing for something that is new, something that is out of this world. And they would recognize, they would trust that that is the calling of a father to his children saying, come home. And so, Father, we pause. We give you a moment to let us cry out to you. To let us say the words that we desperately want to say. To let us beg you for redemption. To let us beg you for you to move in our midst. And so, Father, in these next few moments, as we silently cry out to you here, may we sing of your great name. May we rejoice of the mercy you've brought before us. And may we meditate upon the truth of these scriptures. Father, we are grateful for you and the mercy that you've shown us. 
I pray as the band continues to lead us in a time of worship, that for those that are gathered at home, that they would sing loudly of the reconciliation that you have brought them. They would cry out to their Father and rejoice that they are a part of this family. I pray that those that are watching would be celebrating the good news that they were once lost but now are found. Father, we're grateful for you and your mercy. And we pray that we make much of that by celebrating your name through song. So be with us in these next moments as we sing these words and celebrate the truth of the scriptures. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And we pray these things in the finished name of Christ. Amen.